0: Open up to James, we're in James chapter 1, and uh, I heard someone describe what we were doing to someone, he said, yeah, it's great, we're going through James about two verses at a time. I told him, I said, you know, in James 1 in particular, we're, we really are taking it in short clips, because you just, I, I, I don't know how to, to you know, to take more and not get, get out of it. We're going to pick up the pace a little bit, or else we might be here until your youngest graduates high school. So uh, however old that is. Uh, so we, we will be picking up a little bit. But James 1.22 is where we're at. Now this is an open book test, but let me just ask you, for those of you who were here one week ago, think about this. It was only seven days that you were sitting here. What What did we talk about last week? I mean, I don't want you to answer. I want you to think in your brain. Can you identify what we talked about? Someone is gesturing, and I know they know what we talked about by a gesture they just did. Ben preached. He's the tall guy that just spoke a second ago. He preached a message to us, and the question is, do we know what he talked about? Okay? Now this is only step one. Let me give you a hint. Quick, quick, slow, slow. Right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Okay? Um, here was the title slide. Visuals are good because visuals bring it back. Oh, yeah, we talked about not jumping to conclusions and, and this and that. So it can kind of help jar our memory. Step one is just remembering what we talked about last week. And uh step 2 would be this. What did we do with the message that we heard last week, right? So it's one thing to recall it. Some of you have great minds for that. You take tests well. That's great. But what did we do this last week with the with the passage that we looked at with these words of truth that that came at us? Now that's only step 2. I would I would throw out to you that there's a there's a third step. And that is this. Was it what God wanted you to do? Cuz here's the reality. We can hear from God's word. We can sit and open our Bible, read God's word, and go get busy doing things, right? And we can go be busy doing the wrong things. We can exhaust ourselves to the bone, in fact, doing the wrong things. So I would say this. This morning, my prayer is what we just sang a second ago is that we would become these songs that we sing. That we would become these words that we read. That takes remembering. A lot of a preacher's job is just reminding us, remembering things we do. Part of being in a community group midweek is this. Getting together in the middle of the week and saying, how's it going from a few days ago, right? Instead of allowing an entire week to go by before we do kind of that check-in. Now, um, we have some that are left. Our middle schoolers and kids are gone, so we have very few. But, so we'll open this up to the adults. In next hour, we'll, we'll definitely do it to the kids. Um, but James provides, as I've been reading through James and soaking in James, there's so many great little parentisms that are in the book of James, right? Um, let me, let me throw some out and you see if you can kind of, uh, finish these. Um, so, so here's a freebie and you just tell me what the topic is, okay? If a parent says, hold your horses, what are they, what are they desiring? Patience, right? Chill out, calm down, we'll get there, whatever it is, hold your horses. Uh, here's one, you can fill, you can fill in the blank for me here. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? Your parents went to the same school I did. My my, my, my parents did. Um, that talks about being slow to speak, right? That's what we just talked about. Quick to listen. Um, how about this one? If I've said it once, I've said it. Yeah, somewhere a thousand, somewhere a million. It depends on your stress level, right? Sometimes it was a thousand. If she got up to a million, you were in trouble. You you know you just responded right away. Um, anyone know this one? This one might be a little bit uh, more obscure, but keep your hands to. Yeah, okay. Three brothers and I. In a van. Say no more, right? I mean, there's just constant, you know, uh, quarreling and fighting comes up in James 4. Here's here's the one we're going to look at this morning. In one ear, out the, out the other, right? And this is for the time when someone has been told something and they did not follow through on what was said, right? And so the, the question goes, did it go in one ear and out the other And this kind of a thing? Here's the reality of what we see in the book of James is... When it comes in that one ear, it's now our responsibility. We now have a choice at that point of what to do with it. And most of us, at some level, struggle with this in terms of doing something and then doing the right thing, doing the thing God wants us to do with it. This uh, passage that we're in this morning really is one of the key passages, and in fact, uh, the theme that we've gone with uh, for the series really kind of turns on, on this passage and a few others like it. We're going to hit the same idea of doing a few different times in the book of James because he keeps weaving that thread uh, kind, of, kind of through the, the, the whole series. James, in essence, thus far has been about um, a little series of tests. And what these tests do is they reveal who you really are. They're not changing you, but they're just uncovering what's already there. He talks about trials. He jumps right into it with trials. Remember, he's writing to the 12 tribes who are part of the dispersion. They've been dispersed. Why? Because of their faith, right? They've been dispersed. So they're in trials. They're right in the midst of trials that he's talking to. And um, he brings up trials, and he brings up money. And these are different kinds of tests to just reveal where you are at with your faith. Now, uh... This one here that we're looking at now is talking about action, what you do with God's word, how you respond to God's word. And it's going to show, it's going to reveal if your faith is alive or dead. Last week we talked a little bit about listening and receiving the word. Remember meekly receiving the the the, the word implanted? Today's talking about responding to the word. Here's a few kind of cliches that come out of this, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've ever opened the Bible or not. We instinctively all value what we're talking about today. Okay? Talk is cheap. right? Actions speak louder than words. I used to intern under this junior high pastor, and he was very fond of saying this. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. He loves saying that just because it's kind of fun to say. But it's true. And that's, those are some of the cliches that people in the business world, in any relationship you've ever been a part of, in your school, in your job, these these values are here. Let's read James chapter 1, 22. I'll read, you follow along, and it says this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks intently, uh, looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, This is not a really, really difficult passage to understand. I don't need to connect you with kind of first century Near Eastern culture to kind of unlock the meaning of this. There's no great mystery to the Greek that we have to go in and uncover. It's a pretty straightforward passage. The The illustration works as well today about a mirror and a person looking into it as it did when he first wrote it. Now, here's the reality, though. I think some people would prefer on a Sunday morning to come in to an air-conditioned building on a soft seat and dive into the study of this. Let's dive into it and really wrestle with the wording and all of that. Why? Because it's easier to do Bible study than to receive a simple message and then be faced with a choice, simple obedience or simple disobedience. Isn't it? I mean, really, it's easy to sit down, get into my office, crack open things and look at it and do all that without internalizing the message I'm about to preach. And, and get the, the facts right, get the knowledge right, ever build more knowledge without a simple doing. This passage is not that passage. Uh, there's several times in the Old Testament, I just read, I just started Jeremiah this morning, um, Joel says this, uh, over and over in the prophets it says this, the word of the Lord came to Joel, let's say, right? And then it, and then it was given to the people of God. Let me ask you this, when the word of the Lord comes, to you. Let me throw out a few names and see if you identify with any of these. I realized at the end of the list, I identified with all of them at some point. Do you run like Jonah? The story, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, he bolts. Doesn't work out great for him. Do you grumble like the Israelites? That's a common theme for the Israelites. Do you scheme like Jacob? Or do you get up and obey like a Matthew? Now, probably, I like I said, I know every face in here. So I, I know you enough to know you've probably had inklings of all these characters in the Bible. And that's what we do. We read the Bible and we see ourselves. It reads us, right? So we've been there. The key is this, that the blessing always comes in the obeying and not just in the knowing. So it's not enough to come and know something. It's 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 the the, the blessing comes in doing it. Now, I want to show you some pictures and ask you, Who is the real cowboy in these pictures? You're looking for the genuine thing. Who's the real thing in these pictures? Okay. Upper right, I heard. Oh, bottom right. Okay. Now, as you're kind of chewing on this, let me give you the answer. Ready? We don't know. I mean, unless you know this person personally, you can't tell from these pictures, right? I mean, I look at the guy on the left, and he's outdoors, but that looks a little bit too surreal, like a little staged maybe, right? Uh, the guy on the upper right is a country western artist. I just googled country western artist and put him in. He's pretty glossy looking. Maybe he sings about stuff he really does. I don't know. Um, the guy in the middle is kind of old. You know, he's old and he's out in the snow. I don't know if you can tell that, but you know, any old guy that's out in the snow, he's either a, you know, a starving model that needs really bad money or he's really out there doing his thing. And sometimes we just give deference to the guy in the lower right because it's like, well, that's a super old picture. He must be you know, he must be a cowboy. I don't know. Um, here's 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 the 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 point: that clothes, location, and your pose doesn't make you a cowboy, right? That's not what makes you a cowboy. Think about it: clothes, location, and the pose that doesn't make you a Christian, right? Same parallel. Now, it's those who are those who do that are, and those who don't do but say they do are hypocrites frauds, wannabes, poser. You do not want to be called those names. No one likes those names. From the schoolyard, to your job, to your relationships, you don't want to be called those things, right? Now, let me show you a couple more pictures. And you tell me who the real cowboy is, okay? Playing horseshoes or giving a horse shoes, right? How about this one? Sitting on a fence or fixing the fence, okay? Those are both ladies. Uh, the one's sitting there, the one's working. Uh, how about this? Dressing the part... Or living the part, right? Now we're getting a sense of who the real cowboy is. Last one, pretend or real life, right? One's got padding all around, and after you're done, you can go order yourself a drink and get some peanuts or something. The other one, not so much. Um, Verse 22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Now we've been having these cowboys' dums and having kind of some fun with them. Um, here's our here's our cowboy wisdom for this passage: knowing without doing. Why? That's as useless as setting a milk bucket under a bull. Okay, so if it stops at the knowledge, if it stops at I know what I should do, and it never moves beyond that, useless. Now Jesus repeatedly warns against inaction. In Luke twelve, you don't need to turn there, but just listen. Jesus is talking and he says this, that a servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Over and over again, he warns against inaction and inactivity. He also repeatedly warns against the wrong kind of action. In fact, he saves some of his harshest criticism for religious leaders who were shepherding people into more and more activity, right? And shepherding them into more and more burdens and more and more things to be doing. So here now, the message is not go do more. It's go do more of the right thing. Listen to this, talking about traditions. Matthew fifteen three, he says, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And a couple of verses later, he says, For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You have canceled out the word of God. That's just blindly taking what was received to you and doing it. You know who has a terrible track record of this? It's churches. One of the healthy things that Valley got to be a part of is to be a 50-year-old church and to spawn a new church and be part of that. Because what that does is that asks questions. Why are we still doing what we're doing and should we still be doing it? Or have we just been handed down something that we're just doing over and over and we don't really know the reasons? Or it's not really even biblical. So that's why we continue to come and submit ourselves to God's word. Finally, with this idea, Jesus gave so many things. I could literally just sit here and quote the words of Jesus on this topic. But he applies basic logic to this. Listen to the simple basic logic of Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Right? Right? Here's what this here's what came to my mind. Who's your Lord but your boss, right? You show up to work. You're late again. The boss nabs you in the hallway and says, you're late again. And you respond with this. I know that I'm supposed to be here at 830. It's 915. Your boss would say, why on earth are you telling me this? You, and, and, and you somehow want to stand on a platform of saying, well... I knew the right time to be here. And you're standing in the hallway at 9.15 with your boss. What's your boss going to say to you? Something along these lines, right? And you probably won't have a boss named him anymore, right? I mean, that's, that's just the way it goes. And so to walk up and offer some feeble excuse of we knew the right thing to do, but not to act on it, falls really flat. Here are some ways that I think we deceive ourselves. It says you're only fooling yourselves if you do this. Uh, one is this, is to have no action at all. Now imagine Jesus calling the first disciples and he walks up to one and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the person then responds by saying, right behind you, Jesus, you are a great Lord and a great master and I just want to give testimony and praise. In fact, I'm going to write something about how great you are as a leader and a teacher. And Jesus looks behind him and there's no one behind him. In fact, the voice is getting just more and more faint as he's talking away And Jesus keeps walking. Jesus comes to someone else and passes by Levi, sitting in a tax booth. He says, follow me. And Levi decides to whip out his guitar. He goes, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. I will follow. He starts singing praise songs to him. Meanwhile, Jesus is walking away. And Levi's sitting there singing praise songs. Now, wouldn't that be an odd scene? Of course it would. Would you call those people his disciples? Of course you wouldn't. They didn't obey the simple command, get up and follow me. Jesus didn't repeat himself. He just offered this, and people followed him, got up and followed him. Now, how about you and I? Sometimes we read something in the scriptures, and we go, man, I'm going to pray about that. I need to talk to that with my small group. I need to share this with someone. I need to internalize this. I need to write a song. I need to sing more songs. Now, us singing in here, worshiping, great stuff. Us being in here for God's word and learning, great stuff. But if it stops at that, we're only deceiving ourselves if it's leading to no action. Instead, Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him. Don't be deceived. A genuine profession in Jesus Christ is evidenced more by what we do than what we claim. Right? This is true in every area of life. If you are an expert at something in here, then you are annoyed when someone comes along and it's quite clear that they don't, they've do not they never really actually done what they're talking about. It doesn't bother me if someone comes and talks about chef terms and they're talking and, and uh, they're not really a chef. They don't really cook. They just know a lot of the lingo. That doesn't bother me much because I'm not very good at cooking. But if it were something that I was passionate about and a hobby that I was good at and I heard them talking and just by their words even, I'm like, that's not even true. Like, it's clear this person's never actually been on a motorcycle or been on this or, or done that. Then it kind of irks you a little bit. Doing what we uh, do rather than just claiming what we do is where it's at. Here's the second one is wrong action. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, our passage says, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So not just action, but the right kind of action informed action. Now, I happen to have done a wedding uh, last weekend, and it was an amazing wedding, an amazing shindig, if I can call it that. And it was, uh, it was really a fun time because it was a, a former middle schooler of mine from, from eons ago, and it was really neat to be able to be there and do the wedding. And here I was um, preaching a sermon to two people. And that's what's unique about a wedding is you're really writing it for, for two specific people. And I was sitting there talking to them about marriage. And I was basically sharing these kinds of thoughts. That marriage, that, that a great marriage is more than I do or I love with words, but rather doing and loving, right? Demonstrated and demonstrated daily. I began to lay out from the scriptures, uh, what I believe is, is the normal requirements for a bride and groom. Normal requirements for a Christian marriage to just move forward in life. And as I read these things, here's the reality. When you see what we're supposed to do, husbands, to love our wives, to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and for, for women to respect their husbands and to be a teammate and not a competitor, and for this to last for a lifetime, here's what I tell every single couple, that what the Bible requires from us is not difficult. It's impossible. It's utterly impossible by yourself. And so that's why it actually brings us daily to a point of being on our knees, asking for the enabling grace of God to carry out what he wants us to do and for the forgiveness that the gospel provides when we don't do it. Now, anytime I ever preach a, a uh, wedding sermon, I, there's always... Two kinds of reaction. Almost every single wedding I think I've ever done, there are two kinds of very, very strong reactions. One kind of reaction I got at this wedding, and I've gotten at most weddings, and that is this. People will come to me. Becky and I, uh, within the last eight months, did another wedding. And we were at the at the buffet line, and a girl's standing next to me, and she said this. She said, if I had only heard what you had said before I got married... Um, Basically, I wouldn't be in, in the mess I was, and she had tears in her eyes, and she was really... Now, here's probably a non-believer, probably someone who hasn't been exposed to God's word much, and it's not my message for marriage. I'm just, I'm just trying to pass on God's word for marriage, and, um, and over and over, people will say, wow, that's, that's really inspiring, or that, that really is, is profound, or we'll, they'll, they'll say different kinds of, kind of positive terms. The flip side of that is I almost always get someone with me who comes and levels their gaze at me and has, has wants to have words with me. In the Old West, they'd want to go, like, draw or something. You know, I don't know. But they're really, really fired up about this message. And some of us said, how dare you preach that message you just said. And they really get angry with me about something. Now, here's all I'm doing, quite literally. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reading God's Word. I'm saying a few thoughts about it, but, but I'm really just giving what I think is a basic, normal Christian message for, for a wedding. I was sitting at the table this last time, and I was talking, and, um, and I, I was sitting next to a really wonderful gentleman. We had, a, we had a great conversation about all kinds of stuff, actually, but here was a comment he made, and this was the, kind of the negative side of it. He said this. He goes, um, he goes boy, he goes, uh, is it common for people to cry at, 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 at your weddings? Because the, the bride started to tear up, and I said, yeah, it is, actually. He goes, really? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, that's because you know the weddings I do. I said I I don't just do them. I'm not in the yellow pages. I I do them for people I know and I care about. So, I said it's it's actually quite common because I know them. There's a lot of a lot of relationship. And usually we've spent six weeks in our home doing premarital counseling, and it's a big moment. And so he was kind of fascinated by this you know this fact that that, that people cried a lot. And then he said this. I thought it was great. It was said in a, in a good spirit, but you could tell where he's come from a little bit. He goes, boy. You sure read them the riot act up there. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started laughing. I said, boy, did I? And he goes, yeah. And, and I said, how so? And, so? and so he just, I was just kind of drawing out where he was coming from. And here's what, here's what dawned on me when I thought about this passage this week is this. I read them and spoke to them God's word, what I believe to be God's word on marriage. Because to me and to them, God's word on marriage matters. It matters immensely. It matters so much more than anything else that they will get from. So I wanted to give that to them. What I think I was hearing in this new friend that I got to make sitting at the dinner table was this, is that the, the words that were spoken in the vow, the whole picture of marriage and all of that, are just it's just kind of a neat idea. And so to get any deeper than that and to press into that is all of a sudden feeling very invasive and very like a riot act, as he said. And it was it was a little bit intense for him. So I look at that and say, wow, if it's God's word, then doing it and really saying it in a serious, solemn way matters and it's weighty. And we're going to give attention to it. And we have every intention of walking in those words. If the marriage is set up as just, this is a tradition, this is just something kind of cute we do, we get dressed up, we say a few things, we pass some things, we eat cake, and off we go, then it's light and and unweighty, and it doesn't really matter. The wrong actions um, lead to being deceived as well. So not just action, but the right actions. Here's what you should not be deceived about. We don't get to define what is to be done. God has already given the commands. We get to discover what those are and respond to them. When, when you're told, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, you are now being given a manual on how to do that. Stay close to the Gospels and keep reading Jesus over and over and over to see how did he lead, how did he love, how did he serve, how did he speak. When did he not speak? When did he not chase after people and try to fix them? And so over and over again, we have clearly modeled for us and clearly commanded for us what we're to do as husbands. Wives, the same thing. So when we see that, we don't get to define it. It's been defined for us. So let's not go about the wrong action. Here's the third way I think we can deceive ourselves is reaction or rash action. Some of you are prone to this. Some of you are prone to something happens, and your whole life is one response to a crisis one after another. Look at the word in verse 25, and if you have a pen out, maybe it would be good to circle this. And perseveres. But the one who looks intently to the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres in it. That's a key word to highlight or circle in your scriptures. Because if you are persevering in an action, then it means that you're, you're convinced over and over as you submit yourself to God's word and walk with God's people, this is still the right thing to be doing. Let's go back last week to anger, and I want you to stay with me here for a second. Let's take an illustration of anger. Okay. Did you notice last week that it didn't say, don't ever get angry? What did it say? It says, be slow to anger, right? Be slow to anger. So that's the clear instruction. Elsewhere, we know we're not to let the sun go down on our anger. Uh, we know we're supposed to be angry and yet not sin. So there's all kinds of instruction on anger, but anger is a God-given emotion. Think about what anger actually can do. Instead of being devoid of it, we are we've been given it, and something that anger can do is it can motivate us to action. Where we would otherwise sit by, shake our head, tisk our fingers, and you know, whatever, it it can actually motivate us to action. Think about think about things that you're angry about. Now, rash or reaction is man focused and doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. You know this. You know this from your life, you know this from some of you, from just a wake of destruction that comes in that. When you rashly speak out, when you rashly react, most often that is man centered, that is I was offended, I was violated and I want to make things right. Righteous anger leads to godly, persevering action that, for instance, can destroy a slavery industry. Think of William Wilberforce. How many years? Over 20 years of his life given to going into British Parliament and and ushering in different things. Defeat after defeat after defeat. You know what he was? He was angry that people were being bought and sold like pieces of meat. That angered him. It angered him so much that it moved him to action. And not just action, but persevering action. And the righteousness of God was accomplished through the consciousness of that. And over and over in history, we see the same kind of thing going on. Here's my question for you. What's, what's gotten you angry this last week? I hope these words have rolled around in your mind such that you think, man, slow to anger, slow to anger. If you're given to anger, I hope that just is, is God just tapping you on the shoulder. Slow to anger. Take inventory of what got you angry this last week. Was it reaction or was it something that God is nudging toward you to say, that is not right. That should not be that way. If it's that kind of anger, that's God's righteous anger. Pursue that and begin to move and walk in those kinds of things. Now, uh, when it comes to uh, action, here's, here are some of the things that I, that I can tend to get either underwhelmed or overwhelmed by. Um, My my instruction for us as a church is this. Let's not get too impressed with numbers. In other words, sometimes the actions of the big really excite us. Wow, this went on and 3,000 people joined us in doing it. What a great success. That service event with 3,000 people may be great, but that little quiet service to someone that went unnoticed except to God may be better. That's all I'm saying with that. Let's also not, though, get intimidated by numbers. Uh, some friends of ours bought us a shirt that says five million minus two, and it shows a picture of the, con- the uh, nation of Ethiopia. Five million orphans in Ethiopia minus two. That was the shirt. It was a lovely gift, and we wear that shirt with pride. Five million orphans? What could, what could we possibly do? First of all, lest that roll off our ears too quickly, that ought to anger us. That ought to just be like, you know what? God's heart is to have the lonely, set-in families. We're going to get to all this next week. But that ought to anger us and say, God, that surely is not what your heart is. But five million can intimidate us, right? There's a story told of a guy who's walking the shores in the morning. He looks out and he sees all these starfish all over the beach, and they're just littered. I mean, just there's thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And he hears this <clears throat> kind of plopping sound, turns around to see a guy who's picking them up, and he's chucking them back into the sea. And he walks over to the guy and he says, what are you doing? And the guy says, well, I'm, you know, I'm saving these little starfish's lives. They got washed up. And he looks around and he says, you know, surely what you're doing doesn't matter. And the guy turns away, picks up another one, chucks it into the sea. And he says, it mattered to that one. That's the message for us. Here's the way I don't want you to be deceived. Don't fail to do something just because you can't do everything. Sometimes your something causes others to join in with what you're doing. Sometimes your something is all that God's asking you to do. So sometimes I see a problem I'm so intimidated by, I say, God, we can't do all this. And the gentle whisper is, you're not supposed to. Just just take the step I'm leading you in. Take the next step. Let me just give you some theology behind what we're talking about. We are saved and therefore produce good works. We do not produce good works so that we're saved. Again, I'm looking around to a well-versed crowd this morning. I know that you know this, but it's so important that we get this. People love to pit faith and works against each other. It's not there. James is not arguing with Paul. Paul was Mr., you know, Uh, by grace alone through faith, and James gets pegged as the action guy. That's the body of Christ just working together. But as we see all through the book of James, faith is there. That's, That's how we're saved. It's not through our works. The message is not do or die. Better do lots to keep it going, or else your faith might die. That's not the message. All I would be doing is just fanning the flame for more useless activity. Quick, let's get busy doing useless church activity. Meanwhile, God's like, Wish you were available to me, because that's not where I'm at. That's not what I'm doing. It's this picture of restful obedience. I love the picture of my hand sitting in my pocket, and it's in restful obedience. It's not busy doing things I'm not asking it to do. It's just waiting for the head to tell it to do something, and when it tells it to do something, it just does it. Simply, without any backtalk, none of that. It just does it, right? And that's the restful obedience we get to have. That means Christian. There ought to be periods of your life where you're in rest, active listening and saying, God, what what do you want us to do do right now? There ought to be other times where you're eyeball deep and crying out to the Lord every moment to, to be doing what God, you know God wants you to be doing it. And then in those seasons where you're doing, 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 you ought to build in breaks to pause and say, God, do you still want me doing this? I used to tell my youth workers all the time, I don't want you if you're burned out and shouldn't be here. I want you if God's called you to this ministry, and then let's do this together. I commit to you as your pastor to do the same thing. I do the same thing with what I'm doing here. God, do you still want me here pastoring a church in in South San Jose or not? Because if not, I'll be doing a disservice to your work. I'll be pulling against you. I don't want to do that. Again, I hope we have turnover in our church, the right kind of turnover. We just sang a song. Let worship be the fuel for mission's flame. I hope we have people that we say goodbye to in this next year from our church that are following God's voice away from here, away from what they know, because God's calling them. And we see it and say, we're going to miss you, but praise God. What a huge celebration that is. Romans 3.19 says this, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. No one can ever be made right by doing what the law commands. Let's just let that settle on us so that we don't make the mistake of trying to do that. That's the picture of the gospel, that God sends his son to live the perfect life that we never could. And in an exchange gives us life, gives us righteousness, and from that gift flow all these good works. It's the natural byproduct of it. Our very lives depend on us getting this point and not working for God. And if you ever see your brother or sister, spouse, child, or whatever, living out kind of this debtor's ethic, I've got to pay God back. God, we've got to pay you back. And you correct that, brother. You correct that, sister. If you hear words coming out of my mouth that are misconstrued that way, you come and you correct me and say, man, that sure sounds like we're, we're, we're starting to try to earn our way to God. We, may, it, may that never be said from us. Now, he talks about the idea of a mirror, and I want to just direct your attention to the mirror for a second. Look at the man with the mirror and the believer with the word kind of laid out in the text. Both of them observe and look into. There's no real discrepancy. Both those words mean that you're intently looking at things. It's not that one's a short, quick glance and the other one's an intent look. You're looking intently with both of them. One goes away, the other one perseveres, one forgets, the other one acts. Real simple, laid out illustration. Here's a great reminder for us. Tomorrow morning when you look in the mirror, you can think of this passage. This might be a great passage to have taped onto a mirror, wouldn't it? And just say, don't be a forgetful hearer of God's Word. I mean, something just as simple as that. After hearing and taking in the Word, you and I all have a choice, and here it is. Let me put it really bluntly. It's to deceive ourselves or it's to bless ourselves. Who's the one who's blessed? The one who does the Word of God. The one who doesn't is only deceiving themselves. Taking the idea of God's Word in a mirror and kind of thinking about it some more. Let me, let me throw out some ideas for you that might help with your personal quiet time and just reading the, 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 the Bible. Most every one of you looks in a mirror every day. And if you don't, come talk to me. I know some good personal hygiene coaches that can kind of help stir that. Coaches are big right now, so we'll have a personal hygiene coach help you with that. Um, but it's a daily exercise. Don't just let God's Word fill your, your ears and your hearing once a week and hope that that's going to somehow last you the whole week. We use the illustration around here a lot of food, right, spiritual food, that you eat your food on a regular basis. So you need to be looking into God's Word daily. You also look into a mirror intently. You don't just quickly glance at it, but you look at it. Some of you look at it very, very intently, right? Um, and what you're, what you're doing is you're, you're not just looking at it kind of mindlessly, but you're actually looking at it with an eye for what needs to change. Think about if we read the Bible, and every time we read it intently, and we read it with an eye for what needs to change in us. We also look at a mirror, not just with an eye for what needs to change, but with the intention of changing it, right? Uh, the best illustration I probably could have come up with today, I had artichokes last night, is I have a giant piece of artichoke leaf just stuck in my teeth the whole morning. And by this point, you would have all been so distracted by it, but you would have gotten it really, really clearly about looking in, your, in the mirror and doing it, not forgetting what you look like but acting on it. What if we read God's word daily? What if we read it intently? What if we read it with the intent to change? And what if we changed what we saw when we read it? And then let's, let's do this for a lifetime. When are you going to stop looking into a mirror? It's not next week. You don't have plans next month. You never reach a point of personal hygiene materi- you know, uh, maturity where you don't need to look in the mirror anymore, right? So how about for God's word, let's just make that same commitment that we do this kind of looking for a lifetime. God's mercies are new every morning, but so is your bedhead. That's kind of the gist of it. Um, all right, kind of in wrapping up, what are we to do? So when you read this, this isn't telling us a specific that we should do something. It's saying respond to God's word. Here are just some of the what's. I'm not going to give you specifics, but general thoughts. Psalm 37.4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I'm convinced that if I could preach and give one message and it was sure to get through and have effect, this would be the message. Because I'm convinced if I, if, if, if we, all of us in this room, delighted ourselves in the Lord, he was our uttermost joy, he was our top delight, then literally I could get up here and say this, do whatever you want this week. You go do whatever you want. You delight yourself in the Lord, you can do whatever you want. The law of liberty. Do you see that? The law of liberty. It's, it's law, and usually they put law and liberty against one another, right? We tend to think those fight against each other. But there's actually a freedom there that says if you delight in the Lord, you can go literally do whatever you want. First John five three says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Once again, it's a law of liberty. It's a perfect law. Look intently at it. It's meant for your good. Jesus actually called it his food. You ever forget to eat because you're doing God's will? I hope so. That's a good place to be, don't you think? That you're just doing it and you're like, man, I haven't eaten all day, but it doesn't even really matter. I mean, this is so energizing me that I've forgotten that I haven't eaten today. This is what the law of liberty is about. It's the light yoke of Jesus that he wants to give to you. This is a great version to to, to, medit, to, uh, to memorize this in and a great little short Bible verse to memorize if you've not memorized it yet. It's 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. I want you praying for our kids going to Hume Lake in a couple of weeks. This was a verse I memorized at Hume Lake probably in high school and it stayed with me. And there are times I'm walking along long before WWJD bracelets came along or any of that. This verse, the Holy Spirit would call to mind, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And you know what would happen? I'd say, "Uh, I claim to live in in him right at that moment of decision. So it stayed with me. What a great passage um, to, to, to have. We're about to sing a song here in response to this called Break My Heart. And the line is simple. Break my heart with the things that break yours. And, uh, as we, as we think about that, you can, you can read on to the end of the, the chapter here of James chapter one, even while we're singing. Next week, we're going to talk about caring for orphans and widows and keeping ourselves unstained from the world. That's social action and moral action. So, in terms of the details of what we're to do, James does provide us some, some detail. I'm not going to get into it this week. Here's the second part of it is the how. How are we to obey? Uh, I want to take you back to uh, a series we went through in Ephesians, and we kind of went back to the 80s for a week. Remember, we had a couple guys up here with Rubik's Cubes, and, uh, and we, we talked about some things. Here's how we ought to obey the Father. We ought to obey the Father the same way we want our kids, or future kids, to obey us. And here it was. My kids still bust this out, which I love, which is rad. Right away, all the way, don't grumble or complain. Okay? Last part of Ephesians 5, first part of Ephesians 6, just talk about the family. Here's how a family is to function, right? And so what about us? I tell my kids, I want you to obey me right away, all the way, without grumbling or complaining. And when they do that, that pleases me, and I'm happy with that, and it really does go better. And when they don't, I'm going to correct that and steer that, and and we're going to figure that one out. And then it turns me, as a kid, looking to my father, and the question's leveled at me then. How about you, Dave? Do you simply and humbly obey right away, all the way, without grumbling or complaining? Convicting, isn't it, parents? That's us to to be doing it the same way. Once again, leads us to prayer of God's enabling and sustaining grace to walk that kind of way. How on earth do we do this, Lord? I've read some really scary things that if you're really telling me to go and do that, I don't know if I can do it. Join the club. Go read the prophets. I'm slow of speech. I'm but a youth. On and on. There was was this sense of inadequacy to what God was calling them to do. And he says, trust me. Come with me. Follow me. Band, I want to invite you on up. As the band comes up, I want to just close with uh, a familiar passage in Matthew 19. And it says this. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? I want you to notice Jesus' response. He didn't say this. Deeds, no, no, you don't need to do anything. You just pray a prayer and sign this card, you're good. He didn't say that. He had every opportunity right here to correct the guy's theology. Here's what he said. If you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. He brings law to this guy. But I thought grace is a part of it. Listen up. Keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked, And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely on your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. What's he doing? Giving them the the, the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Words. Um, Verse 20 says this, I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus doesn't stop and rip the guy apart. Has he obeyed all those commandments? No. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out all that's that's in there, even just the one love your neighbor as yourself, I guarantee you there were sins of omission in the guy's life that week, right? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus exposes the God in this guy's life with one last command. Go and sell everything you have and follow me. Does that sound like the invitation Jesus says to us? No plea bargain, no little bit later, let me take care of this, let me buy a field, let me go take care of some bit. No, no, no. At my bidding, you just come. You follow me. Maybe James isn't so much a call to action, but a blaring siren that is warning either sleepy Christians or dead people that they don't have a saving faith at all and that the actions that are present in their life can give great encouragement to say, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you because you're walking in the ways of Jesus, or it's a glaring picture saying, there are no actions backing up your claims, therefore you're playing horseshoes, riding a mechanical bull, sitting on a fence. It was that kind of strong, straightforward language that we love about James, by the way, that nailed me between the eyes as a 17-year-old kid. And God woke me up from a dead sleep and began to stir my life. Let me pray. <clears throat> God, we, um, I feel a deep weight to this passage of what we're reading. And I pray that just because it's familiar to many of us, that it wouldn't lose its impact on us. God, you don't care so much what we believe, but what we believe enough to do. And that's what you're lovingly guiding us into with the words this morning. Father, even now as we sing, I pray, God, that these wouldn't be mere words, but you'd be doing a work in our hearts. We confess, God, if we've walked in here having no intent to actually change, but now you've stirred something in us, God, we just confess that we need you and need the courage even to take the first step. In these ways, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be encouragers, ones that would build up and give freedom to, do, to allow people to do the things you're calling them to do. Would you shut down and free us, God, from ever wasting resources and energy and time and, and the motivation of people in directions and in pursuits that aren't from you? God, we need you in this and we thank you for answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.